Okay, we're on. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. I am recording today at True Digital Park. Another gorgeous day here. Again, it was 25 degrees when I woke up. And for anybody that's been in Bangkok, you know that that felt a little bit chilly, to be fair. Today, I'm joined by Colin Hodge, the global growth expert. Colin, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Michael? I am super. Where are you, by the way? Right now, I'm in Sao Paulo, Brazil, quite a ways from uh, Bangkok right now. (laughs) Isn't it like literally on the other side of the earth? I've never been there, so I'm a little bit envious. Yeah, yeah. It's coming up on midnight, but as a night owl, I'm, I'm very happy to be talking to you right now. Thank you very much. Can you give the listeners a little bit of your background for context? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So my really start to the startup world was I created a viral dating app, a hookup app really called Bang With Friends. And then it turned into an app called Down that is still functioning and uh, profitable today. And, you know, those that was in 2013, uh, which is painful to say because it was so long ago. But, you know, I learned a lot of stuff since then. I've been on quite the journey, um, as you can imagine, with a provocative brand name like that. What was the idea about getting into the dating space? I mean, over time, it's just a place where there's a lot of innovation, but also a lot of competition, right? I'm always curious about why someone chooses a particular vertical. Definitely. So uh, I started working on it in late 2011, actually, pre-dating apps. And this was, you know, before Tinder, before any other dating apps, even frankly, before Grindr was a real dating app as well. Uh, It was just a website at the time. So think, you know, Match.com, Plenty of Fish. Those were the the opportunities and uh, the availability for singles out there, especially in the States. So I was grinding away at this dating site startup, and I was mostly doing it solo as a founder. And I found it fitting for somebody building a dating site, by the way, that I was a solo founder. But um, <laughs> I thought, uh, <laughs> I like it. I thought meeting, um, yeah, I thought meeting people through mutual Facebook friends had some potential. And so, uh, you know, at the time, Facebook had uh, their graph. Uh, API that you could hook up to, and I started to implement something based on that. So that was that was the beginning. I joined an accelerator, and that was probably one of the most fateful decisions I, I made in my career. Can you say which accelerator was, and what was it about it that was so fateful? Yeah, yeah. So it's called Boost VC. Um, oh, it. it was. Yeah, it was started by uh, Adam Draper, and he's the son of Tim Draper, who's a big, big angel investor. And, you know, it was fateful because, as I said before, that I was solo working on this dating site. And what happened was about two months into the accelerator, I realized I just had this dawn upon me that what I was working on was going to fail. And I just could see it and I admitted that to myself and I said it out loud and it felt ba- you know both cathartic very good and and also very scary because as an entrepreneur we you know we're taught to be very confident and project that confidence to everybody around us right yeah you're meant to be bullish constantly right exactly and so being able to show my you know my true doubts and feelings was was actually very useful and that honesty you know along with some drinks to be honest um, came <laughs> you know, some brainstorming so <laughs> um, this brainstorming led to one of the most viral U.S. product launches in the last decade we created Bang with Friends and we hit a million signups within three months 
it was even faster than Instagram actually started. People see how huge it's grown, but uh, those first three months were just an absolute rocket ship for us. Can I back up for a second? I want to talk a little bit more about this fear because I think it's something that even very successful entrepreneurs don't talk about a lot. You actually had a corporate job, right? Were you working at Microsoft for a while? I was, yeah. So right out of college, uh, I went to Cornell University, and then I did internships in Seattle, both at Microsoft and Amazon. Cool. And I you know, was doing software development and testing and working at Microsoft for uh, about four years, you know, doing the good corporate thing, paying back student loans, all that stuff. Yeah. Making your family happy. And this is the thing that I like to ask, though. You know, you were scared. But when you leave a job at Microsoft, which has always been sort of one of the plum places that computer science graduates want to work, right, because they get to work on big problems and solve big problems, what is it like when you tell your family, I'm going to quit my job, try to start something from scratch and go work at, you know, an accelerator from Boost VC? Like, do you think your parents knew who Adam Draper was? I, I don't think they did. In fact, I still, I don't think they know who pretty much any angel investors are still. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? I think uh, they. I, it was my decision to leave Microsoft was definitely met with a lot of hesitation uh, amongst friends, amongst family. Um, especially, I actually was out for almost a year before I even applied to the accelerator. So oh, wow. there's a lot of time there where I was just exploring my ideas and trying to make progress uh, with you know no structure, no income. You know, people express concern and in various ways, everything from are you crazy to, well, as long as you're happy and you're not starving, right? So, <laughs> right. which I think, I think the second one is actually just an iteration of you're crazy, but that's just how it makes me feel. <laughs> you can't be sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think shades of it for sure. So you went through this massive growth phase, right, with Bang With Friends. You said even faster than Instagram, you had a Instagram, you had a, a million downloads in three months. That's insane. I mean, that's really insane growth. But then what happened? Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the crazy thing with that is it kind of, it was a side project. Like I said, that we created out of this very brutally honest moment. And because of that, there wasn't a real team around it. There wasn't a, you know, much of a support system around it. And I was the sole coder on it. I was developing it. I was the CEO, the marketer, the janitor, everything involved. And my two co-founders were very part-time on it and uh, especially never wanted their names associated with it, really. So really? it was a difficult time, yeah. I didn't know that, or at least I hadn't read that. They didn't want to be associated with it. Why? Just because of the implication of the name and what it was meant to do? That That's interesting. Yeah, I think, frankly, most people, even in the accelerator and, you know, the people running it and, and outside, a lot of people were just telling us, like, ooh, are you sure you want to associate with name with that, be known as that guy? You know, they had their own startups and obligations as well in the accelerator. So they also were, you know, one foot in, one foot out. But, you know, on the other hand, it was way better than doing it completely solo. And I think, you know, when we started anyway we were all anonymous and that was part of the uh the intrigue that we created in the press right it's like who are who is the team that's doing this thing that's a rocket ship and we don't even know who these guys and gals are right exactly and, and i remember in the early days just going by my first initial c when i talked to journalists and um <laughs> even you know using other number other phone numbers and masking my voice a little bit Did and stuff really? like that so it was yeah i mean 
part of it was, you know, as soon as it blew up, people, you know, the, uh, every article was like, who's running this? It must be the most fratty guys ever. And then the rumors started floating around and we were just like, wow, we really need to keep this going for a while because it's so in- intriguing and, and people uh, just kept, you know, that was part of the, the virality, I think. Right. So I want to get to this a little bit later, right? But I also want to go through the down phase because part of that intrigue and part of the mystery around it maybe is one of the learnings you have about how to create growth. It's just an interesting concept, right? right? But you mentioned to me before that you go through this rocket ship phase and then there was this down phase. What was that like and what did you learn from that as well? Yeah, I think I think the down phase was, you know, there are quite a few of them. Uh, the first one was just getting smashed with traffic and, you know, things failing and not having many people to really rely on who could help me go in and fix it and scale things. So that was very hard. But the other part was, you know, basically when we, you know, I think five months in, we launched on the App Store, four months in, five months in, basically a month after we launched on the Apple App Store, the app got taken down by Apple. We got sued a month later. There were a lot of downtimes where it felt like, you know, everything was collapsing and every fiber of my being just wanted to quit. But, you know, luckily I found some systems and some ways to persevere through that. I think the biggest thing for me and one thing that I've definitely taken is one, have a support system within your startup, within your company. You know, when one person is feeling down or feeling the pressure, stress too much, the your partner or partners got to pick you up. You know, somebody else takes the ball and runs with it. And the other one is just that support system outside, people that you can truly dish to about everything. They don't see the day-to-day. They're your friends, hopefully, who understand some of the startup and business aspects. Uh, but that that really helped me to be able to um, dish the, all the stress and doubts and troubles that I was having. Do you think that there is a sort of thematic conversation to have both with both with successful founders and, and even, I don't even want to use the word unsuccessful founders, maybe less successful founders and even like senior teammates about what that emotional stress is like? I definitely do. I, I wish that as entrepreneurs, we were more encouraged to share this stuff. You know, I, I know there are some, you know, meetups and organizations that have started uh, that they're pretty good. Uh, Fuck up nights is one of them. Um, delete me later if you need to. I apologize. <laughs> Those are great, great opportunities to share, but I just wish that, um, you know, and I think that it would be a very positive step for the community, for everybody just to be a bit more realistic and, yes, project some confidence, but also share some of the doubts you have, share some of the inner struggles that are happening, because there's always a fire being put out if you look inside a startup. Yeah, I mean, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And if it was easy to succeed at it, then it wouldn't really be as much fun as it is, I think, at some level. Spot on, exactly. It's the challenge of it that's exciting, but it's also really stressful. Do you want to talk a little bit about what it felt like during the acquisition process? With I don't really care about the monetary details at all, to be fair, but again, just about the stress around it. You know, you also left the U.S. to build this thing, right? So you kind of traveled all over the world to just kind of regroup, it sounds to me in a way, and then you got acquired. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, just looking back on it, honestly, it's it's kind of mind-blowing that it's, one of my best ideas came from uh, something that sounded crazy and just from this moment of honesty. And, and uh, fast forward about five years, four and a half years after I started it, I was talking over email with 
this company in Singapore, another dating app and company. And I just hit it off pretty well with the, the founder. He offered to invest in the company. And then after another six months or so, um, it, it just felt like I should move on. I should take a win, uh, sell the company, continue to make sure that it had a home, that it grew. Right. Uh, but it was really, really hard to navigate that, especially given that we, you know, we didn't have, um, frankly, like super supportive venture capital firm behind us with, you know, dozens of exits and that, you know, was coaching us through this kind of, frankly, a small deal for a VC firm, right? Right. So, uh, yeah, I was negotiating against this, this company uh, who, you know, obviously they, they wanted me employed there and that was the, the main thing that they wanted. But in terms of, you know, how to value the assets, um, how much equity, how much cash and all that stuff, you know, there's always the very rough guidance, but it's so personalized to every deal. And it, it really, you know, it was my first time selling a company. So it was very hard for me to decide when to sell, how to how to structure the deal, what is fair, um, all that stuff. Can I ask you this, though? Did you have your founder, your co-founder sitting there with you when you were negotiating, or was this something you did alone as well for the most part? This was mostly solo. By that time, yeah, yeah. By that time, my my co-founders, who were always part-time, we had negotiated a what I think is a more fair equity situation as well. And so... <laughs> They were very supportive just on the idea of getting anything out of the company, um, you know, after not really being super involved after the first maybe three to six months. Right. Um, so they were very supportive in terms of, you know, yeah, go do what you need to do. Do what's best for you. If that's the option we have, great. Yeah, as far as like, you know, strategy and all that stuff, it was more... I asked one or two of my angel investors. I asked a bunch of friends and, and other entrepreneurs, but not my co-founders and not really the team. Uh, not that there was much of one anymore at that point. Right. It's it's interesting though, right? Because these types of financial negotiations can get actually quite complex. And unless you've been through one of them before, it's hard even to know what the benchmarks are. And I've heard stories about other founding teams that going through big negotiations and it's just like the three of them and they don't have a lawyer there with them or an accountant or a CFO there with them. And they're literally kicking each other under the table as the offers are coming in from one side and you know, they're close, right? So they're just trying to figure out what to do. And mm -hmm. it, it feels like more, you know, like they just didn't know what the right thing was in the end. They ended up with a relatively good deal, but I think having some expert advice there could come in really handy. But again, you said this before, like you're always doing this stuff alone and that's, I just think that's really challenging. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's one of the key lessons that I took for when I start my next company is definitely have a team of of friends and people I want to work with that um, we can go through it together and lean on each other. So definitely a, a key lesson to take away from this. So once you started working at this new company in Singapore, how, how long were you there? I was with the overall parent company for about three and a half years. Okay, wow. That's a long time. Almost as long, actually, as you were at Microsoft, but a little bit shorter. But what did you learn there in a very of an environment that must be very different than the Microsoft environment? But having to work with teams in a different country, in a different environment, in a different culture, what was the learning there? Oh man! So yeah, there are a few things. So my first year after after we got acquired, I basically started their labs division. So it was called Pactor Labs, and. The whole idea was both incubate new ideas, but and also take the acquired companies, including Down, including a few others that they acquired soon after that, 
and grow them as much as we could, grow them on the user base, grow them in terms of revenue, and do this even though all of them were basically in different regions, different countries and strengths, uh, different product offerings. So it was quite a challenge, but mm. um, I was definitely, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, imagine parachuting into, uh, for instance, one of the apps was based in Taiwan, um, and I don't didn't speak any Chinese at the time, still don't speak it quite well. Right. Obviously didn't really know the culture well, so had to take that, work with the founding team um, across that language barrier as well, and, and basically teach them how can we use all these growth tactics and the growth mindset to take this spark and nurture it into you know a wildfire basically what are some of those challenges right like you said different verticals different cultures different languages how do you disintermediate that and actually grow these things well i, I became a much better listener i can tell you that <laughs> um, both, both in the literal sense of listening and trying to parse what words somebody's saying, um, but also, uh, you know, understanding exactly where they're coming from, where their strengths are, what they're trying to convey, even if they're not saying it directly. So that that's that was the first challenge, and um, and then the other thing was, you know, became really really good at taking a team and a product and a market and looking at what fit they have if any and then figuring out how to accelerate their growth how to you know for this one for instance the app is called goodnight and they had close to no revenue they had a decent amount of users but it was only in taiwan and it wasn't really you know a top 50 app yet even top 100 app yet so i did see though that they had a really really good gut instinct for marketing and they could iterate very quickly so you know we worked side by side and we got them in a very good experimental setting so we were testing out new growth ideas and way to ways to monetize all the time and uh, we grew them together into the top dating app in Taiwan in terms of revenue. Wow. Uh, we grew their user base by like 20, 30 times, I think 30x last time I talked to them. So there's a huge success story for them and I'm super proud of them. And it also taught me how to you know, work with this team and implement these same growth tactics that you know seem much easier to do when I can just do them all myself, right? <laughs> right. So, th but this seems thematic to me, right? And we talked about this a little bit offline, but one of the things that seems threaded through your career is being able to, you seem like a guy who loves products, but then you also seem like a guy who loves this idea of creating growth and kind of explosive growth, like 20 to 30 times growth is not, that's not small, right? Can you generalize a little bit about how you institutionalize that stuff? And then maybe how you take it from the Taiwanese market where you learned with the good night team maybe into the Thai market or into the Malaysian market and how you adapt those things? Because every, every country is different, particularly in Southeast Asia, right? Yeah, yeah. I can give you two examples uh, that, that come to mind. So the first one is just the idea of instilling certain tactics with them and having them adapt them to their local market. So I did this when I moved over about a year after that, I moved over to the Taiwanese office for 17, which is the top live streaming app in developed Asia, basically right. everything except China. So this app uh, was, you know, it was big uh, in Taiwan. It was not, it was maybe neck and neck for the number one uh, there, but still a pretty small overall market. And when I moved in, there's a big need for somebody to run the marketing team as well as the growth team that I created. So one of the first things that I, I learned there and I tried to instill with them in, 
in all of my marketing teammates was that I, the idea that great marketing tactics, you know, uh, making sure that you have a very sharp and uh, incisive uh, slogan and stuff like that so it'll cut through the noise in the market and it'll stand out and you get people's attention. It's better to be noticed than it is to just be part of the crowd. Stuff like that is something that I like to say it has a passport accepted almost anywhere in the world. So um, <laughs> like they, it. you know, I, I gave them, <laughs> I gave them this stuff and these tactics and these ideas. And I said, I can't do this for you. I can only teach you some of these basics and you need to run with it. So here's an example of what I did in the U S for instance, or in, you know, in Singapore or, or anywhere else in Brazil. And here's some ideas I have for adapting it for Taiwan. You got to tell me if that'll work and then you got to tweak it and run with it so that it becomes truly Taiwanese, truly localized. And that team, you know, they struggled a bit at first with that, but they definitely learned it by the time that I left the marketing team and moved on to, to solely growth and then global expansion. So that was one, one clear instance where I was really, really happy to see that, you know, great marketing tactics, they, they can travel anywhere. That's awesome. What's the second example? Yeah, the second example, and this is something that I, the Good Night team, going back to um, the more dating side of the company, right. they did really well. Is I basically gave them a, a handbook, a process for doing app store optimization. So ASO, which is very similar to SEO, but you know, just for Apple App Store and Google Play Store. And they not only took that, ran with it and tweaked it, they implemented it into their system and tied it directly into their influence, their micro-influencer marketing campaigns in a way that I hadn't really done before. So now they had, you know, positive reviews coming in and great keywords that were also used in the micro-influencer campaigns. And um, it was just really a good virtuous cycle, that, or virtuous cycle, sorry, that was like very, very plugged into the local culture and also how their team worked in their strengths because I guess their founder, I, I don't know what he calls himself, but it, their head of marketing, very, very good pulse on the culture there. Right. But how do you do that stuff without a massive budget or without a significant budget, I should say? So frankly, uh, most of the work I do is focused on not using a budget um, on very little. You know, the only budget might be some staffing to, you know, test th some things out, implement some experiments throw a little bit of test money at certain things, but definitely I don't focus usually on the paid direct, you know, acquisition marketing. How to accomplish it is is mostly, you know, there are a lot of avenues to get free press, free downloads, free mentions. They, for instance, really focused on the local forums and also the micro-influencers. They cut some early deals with some of them for either free or cheap. Some of them just really liked their app and, and they just needed that push and that opportunity to make a funny video for them. Right. Um, and then, of course, the ASO stuff is all free. I mean, it's, it's manpower, woman power, but it, you know, it takes time. It takes expertise, but it's all free to do. You don't have to pay for any of it unless you, you know, really want to juice the system. But, you know, I try to stay away from that stuff. Fair enough. So what are you, what are you working on now? You know, after I left M17 in August, I wanted to take a hiatus basically and reset. Um, I wanna, I'm basically trying to figure out 
what startups I and, and industries I really enjoy and I'm really passionate about, where in the world I want to focus. And right. so right now I am traveling the world. I am uh, basically being a growth consultant. Um, the global growth expert is what I'm being called. And that's it's kind of what I want to become for everybody. I love working with small startups. I've worked with, you know, anything up to Series D startups. And I think what I've noticed amongst everything is everybody could use some growth help. There's not a single startup in the world that is really maximizing their opportunities for growth, whether it's on product side and making sure all the user funnels and cycles are really taking full advantage of what the product can offer. And then on the marketing side, there's just so much to do organically. And of course, most of the companies already know the inorganic stuff like paid traffic. So those are my focuses. Um, And then expanding internationally. So I've helped companies expand into Asia, outside of Asia, into Latin America, outside. So it's really interesting for me to dive into a culture you know, learn the language a bit, learn all the little nuances that it takes to be a successful company in that region. You know, I'm biased, right? Because I've basically made my hay in Asia. I've been here for 30 years and I've been living in Bangkok now for over eight, 22 years in Japan. And I just think there's the region itself is still ripe for, you know, imported knowledge, best practices and stuff like that. And also there's a fast growing kind of robust startup ecosystem here as well, supported not just by governments, but by big corporations, you know, in a way that's different than it is in the United States. Do you see an opportunity, not just in Thailand, but in Southeast Asia in particular, but in Asia in general for someone like you, the global growth expert to come out here and help companies here grow, not just regionally, but globally? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So uh, while I was in Bangkok this last time, and you know, you know, I've been in and out of Thailand for a while now, and I absolutely adore it. But um, I met with five different startups and just gave them some free sessions. I wanted to, you know, get a feel for the ecosystem there and and help some of them as much as I could. Um, and I actually got an email yesterday morning. I was so touched to see this. It was. It was almost a book. It was, you know, like a, <laughs> one of those emails you just keep scrolling and scrolling. But it was all about, hey, here's all the stuff that we got out of our conversation with you, all the stuff you spurred us to think about and try and all the progress we've made so far. And it was it was really inspiring. I mean, to just see that and see the not only just, you know, startup growth, but personal growth that this founder was yeah. emailing me about. And I love that. Yeah, so, that's um, awesome. That was just one example, but definitely to your question, sorry I got off topic there a little. You know, in Thailand, I definitely get a sense that there's a uh, a need and a desire for some of this outside expertise uh, to come in and, and help build maybe some more of the these lines in the ecosystem, these these railways basically to to success so that more people have positive examples for that and I would enjoy working there as well. So it's definitely on my list. The other, you know, in Taiwan, I spent about two years there as well. They have a nice ecosystem as well. And certainly Singapore and Vietnam, both places that I, I spent many months each, definitely have opportunity. So I think Southeast Asia is definitely an area where growth expertise and growing inside those countries, but also, you know, there's no reason why a great Thai app or a great Thai company or Singapore company can't think about how do we expose ourselves to international markets? How do we expand out there? How do we bring their clients here? That sort of thing. Right. I mean, one of the things that I like to encourage the 
clients that I work with out here from a mentoring and advisory standpoint is you have to think about building a global business from day one. You don't necessarily have to go global from day one, but you have to think about it because the world is huge and the things you learn in your domestic market, like you said, whether it's Vietnam or Singapore or Taiwan, could be applicable in ways that the local people in those other countries haven't even considered yet, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I love that you said that because um, I was just, you know, I was just brainstorming with one of my colleagues here and we were kind of trying to figure out what exactly is my, you know, what is the unique angle that I, I'm able to bring. And, and what we settled on was this idea of organic growth, global mindset. And so I think you're spot on in saying if you can bring all the best lessons and frameworks from outside into Thailand, into Asia in general, and mix it with all the positives that exist on the ground there already, then you have something really powerful. And if you build your company from the start like that, if you build it with the idea of we're going to have the best practices, we're going to be, you know, we're going to recruit the best talent and we're going to have, you know, an eye for growth internationally eventually, then you're going to end up dominating your own internal market and then be able to expand. Well, yeah, because first of all, you're going to be so much more robust than people that are just thinking locally because already you're thinking about how can I make this thing scale? This is one of the things that you talked about earlier is that your servers are just getting banged on, right? And the same thing happened to Twitter. They were like, oh, gosh, now what do we do? But if you think about that mm-hmm. from the beginning, from a design standpoint, but also, like you said, from an infrastructure and from a best practices standpoint, when things do start to grow, you don't feel the stretch. You just feel the expansion. And that's actually really powerful, I think. I think it is, and and I definitely agree that you want to prepare a bit. Where I would push back a little, and this is just from my own experience with that, is I come from an engineering back background. I did computer science and all that. I definitely don't over-engineer things, you know, a MVP of a project, and and try to make sure that it'll scale to a million users. But I do keep in mind, you know, you you need to build most of the startup and the uh, you're thinking around that's my point yeah. how can we make this bigger yeah exactly so right. you know definitely not a fan of over engineering but definitely a fan of of that mindset of yeah of being able to scale eventually yeah so for me sorry i should have been clear on this it wasn't about building it into the um, physical architecture it's the mental architecture of mm-hmm. what do we foresee in the future we have to know that as we go along because when things start happening we need to know what the solution is Right, but when you want to just get your product out into the market, I think you should just go out. I mean, I've done the same thing, so fair enough. Exactly. Yeah, and and looking like you're saying, looking at the other markets, at your potential competitors internationally, and what they're done doing, and maybe some trends there. Uh, what's worked and what what hasn't. This is part of the the value that I'm bringing to some of these startups. Um, right. For instance, the one that emailed me, I pointed to a company from the U.S. And they said, oh, my God, that business model is is really, really impressive. So we're going to look into it as well. So that's the sort of thing that I, I really would encourage people to do from no matter what country you're from, city you're based in. There's always something you can learn and and make sure that you're, you know, almost comparing yourself also to those outside outside things so that you stay motivated, you stay hungry and you know that, you know, you can grow to be the the biggest one or the the best startup in this area, not just in Thailand, not just in Asia, but worldwide. Yeah, does creating and does creating that growth like still excite you? You know what I mean? There's a little bit of burnout in each maybe individual incident incident of this. But if you can help a company or a team grow 20, 30 times, is that still really exciting? Oh my God, so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I guess, you know, what I find exciting about it is there's there's this magical moment when you realize that the crazy thought that was in your head when you saw this vision of something growing, even if it wasn't your original idea, but you right, right. you just saw something, you said, I think there's potential there, and you're able to, you know, help that grow into something huge that that takes over its market or or whatever the success metric is then that is you know it's it's almost just that confidence booster and that very relieving feeling like oh my god i wasn't just eating crazy pills that day um or you know when i when i heard that or when i thought that i saw true potential here that's that's the very rewarding thing uh besides of course seeing you know, usually very good people, very passionate entrepreneurs succeed as well, which is its own reward. Yeah, I mean, there is a human aspect to that type of growth as well, where it's not just in a way it's not it's not for you at all. It's actually for them. But being able to experience that vicariously, I think, is really, really exciting for me. Yeah, yeah. So you you totally get it. And I can tell. I mean, to be a podcast host, you have to love hearing about other people's, you know, their their work, their success, and and hopefully, you know, push them to greater heights. Right? right. Could you imagine? <laughs> could you imagine if you were podcasting, you were just like resenting everybody else's success? <laughs> it would be terrible. <laughs> You'd be the worst possible host. Or maybe that would be really funny to listen to. I don't know. I can't do it. I mean, I think you just stumbled upon a niche. There's I was a, just a thinking about it. I wrote it down. Podcast host. <laughs> just like Please do. Uh, um, that would be hilarious. And I think I have one or two people in mind for that, by the way. By the way. But um, <laughs> uh, it would be actually it'd be a pretty great uh, you know, contrast. You on one side of the mic and uh, this person on the other side. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's definitely do it. I want to have somebody just completely resentful try to be an offset to um to my enthusiasm do you have any plans to come out here again soon <laughs> yes so i'm i'm working uh, with a few different people out there already and i might be continuing that work with uh, true digital park as well so i hope to be able to you know be involved in the startups there and perhaps do some more consulting sessions with uh, with companies there. Um, I'm also, you know, I, I've participated in things like Tech Week um, and, or sorry, not Tech Week, uh, Tech Sauce. Um, yep. So I'm always open to, you know, certain conferences. I really enjoyed doing a presentation there two years ago, so maybe I'll do another one at some point. But, you know, Thailand is is a super exciting market for me just because you have this very interesting balance of the culture and a very, to me, a very early period of incubation for Definitely. much of the startup successes and, and stories there. So there's a lot of the, the stories to be written still. I can't wait to help you write them. How can people contact you? So everybody can uh, go to my site and learn more about the growth consulting that I can do for you. The site is colinhodge.com. And you can always find me uh, there or email me at hey at colinhodge.com. Awesome. Colin, today has been really awesome. The global growth expert. I'm really happy we finally got this done. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michael. And looking forward to seeing you next time I'm in Bangkok. Awesome.